Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It feels like we're a little bit stuck. There are values that we hold and hopes that we have for the future, but what do we do next? Lately, I've been taking lessons from the people who jumped right in, who despite all the resistance from those who thought they were going too far, they spoke their truth anyway. I am ta- I'm taking lessons from the people who for their time were considered radical, dangerous, blasphemous. Like Abner Neeland, the last person jailed for blasphemy in the United States here in Boston in 1838. Neeland was an ordained universalist minister but he was not what we would call good standing with his universalist colleagues. He was brash and loud. He had very controversial opinions like his belief that married women should keep their last names and have their own private bank accounts. He also spoke in favor of birth control, divorce, interracial marriage, and the abolition of slavery. While serving in a congregation in New York City, Neeland shared his pulpit with controversial leaders, feminists, abolitionists, communitarians. Many believe that Neeland's blasphemy charge was a way to stop him from preaching these societal and political beliefs. But his religious beliefs were also controversial. He wrote, I believe that God and nature, so far as we can attach any rational idea to either are synonymous terms. Hence, I am not an atheist, but a pantheist. That is, instead of believing there is no God, I believe that in the abstract, all is God. It is in God we live, move, and have our being. And the whole duty of man consists in living as long as we can and in promoting as much happiness as we can while we live. For his belief that God and nature are one and the same, that God is in all, Abner Neeland was automatically disfellowshipped by the New England Universalist Convention for renouncing Christianity. Despite losing his fellowship with his Universalist colleagues, Neeland continued to find ways to preach and to share the beliefs that he held. In 1831, he came here to Boston and he became a lecturer of the newly formed First Society of Free Inquirers. He was not laying low. He published scathing critiques of biblical Christianity in his newspaper, The Boston Investigator, and he actively debated with his former Universalist colleagues. Neelan's blasphemy charge came from a letter that he wrote to the editor of a Universalist newspaper stating, Universalists believe in a God that I do not, a God with his moral attributes, but nothing more 
than a chimera of their own imagination. Burn. This was very big back, this was harsh back then. Neelan called the god of universalists a fantasy. This would not be a big deal if no one was listening, but lots of people were listening to Neeland. He gave lectures at the Federal Street Theater in Boston on Sunday mornings to crowds of over 2,000 people. That's almost 10 times as many people as what we have here at church on a Sunday. Neeland underwent five trials for the charge of blasphemy, finally reaching the Supreme Court of the city of Boston. And here's a place where I, in the history, that I find really interesting for us as Unitarian Universalists. Unitarians and Universalists were both deeply embroiled in this case, especially the Unitarians. They were split. The judge and prosecutor for Neeland's case were both Unitarians, while the minister of Arlington Street Church, William Ellery Channing, whose statue is just across the street, circulated a petition calling for Neelan to be pardoned. Ultimately, Neeland was found guilty, and he served 60 days in jail for his crime. Historian Stephen Papa writes, in, the, in becoming the last man jailed for blasphemy in America, Neelan contributed to the cause of religious freedom. He made it so embarrassing for the powers that be that though blasphemy is still a law on the books in Massachusetts and several other states, no one since then has ever been charged, tried, sentenced, and incarcerated for that supposed crime. When I first learned about Abner Neeland, I could not stop thinking about this story. I was so fascinated by how divisive his social and religious beliefs were, the turmoil that his words caused throughout the city of Boston, throughout Unitarianism and Universalism, which were separate movements at that time. And I was fascinated because today, so much of what Neeland believed and spoke of, the endless possibilities of the divine, and that the purpose of our lives is to create a more equitable and loving society, that's the foundation of our faith today. I believe that part of being progressive people of faith means that we don't forget or hide moments like Neelan's blasphemy trial. It is a history that will repeat itself. In our communities today, our churches, our workplaces, our social circles, there are Abner Neelands. There are people among us who are sharing new ideas about what to believe and how to live that are radical and unconventional. Ideas that defy what we have been taught is sacred, especially about patriarchy, about white supremacy, and about capitalism. Ideas like Love is love, close prisons, black lives matter, trans people should have access to, to life-saving health care. Like Abner Neeland's peers, we do not know which of these beliefs will become socially acceptable in the future, but it is likely, and I pray that it, is, that it will be, that all of these will all of these ideas. We have the option to be the progressive people of faith who bring countercultural activists, preachers, and organizers to trial, 
or who, like William Ellery Channing, are the progressives who fight for their, vo their voices to be heard. And this has been a part of our story from the very beginning. Unitarianism and Universalism are traditions named for their heresies. In early Christianity, Unitarians were those who believed in one unified God rather than the Trinity. Universalists believed in universal salvation, that no one is too sinful for God's love and forgiveness. The Unitarian, Unitarians and Universalists who built and cared for this church, who have written the hymns that we sing and the rituals that we practice, were also called lawbreakers, exiles, heretics. Beyond Unitarian Universalism, many of the wisdom teachers we come back to time and again in this community, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were also considered radical lawbreakers. We need to keep looking for these teachers among us, the leaders who are accused of being blasphemous and dangerous for radical ideas that should not be radical. Ideas about how to heal from past injustices and to more fully live into our values. I think of Patrice Cullors. Her memoir is aptly titled, When They Call You a Terrorist. Patrice is an artist, abolitionist, and writer. She grew up in a poor neighborhood in Los Angeles. She writes, I spent my childhood watching my brother get arrested. Once when I was 12, we were just walking down the street, Monty and I, and a cop came, who we saw regularly came up to us. Are you Monty Colors? He barked. Yes, my brother responded. And that was it. In front of me, he handcuffed Monty and took him away. I have no idea what for. All I know is that it's a common occurrence. And not just for Monty. It's hard for me to think of a boy from my neighborhood who wasn't arrested at least once. Patrice's brother, Monty, was diagnosed with bipolar schizoaffective disorder. A tall, strong, black man, when Monty gets sick, he's not seen as a patient, but a criminal. Throughout Patrice's life, she watched as Monty was arrested over and over again. She was a witness to the deeply disturbing reality that prisons are where most Americans with serious mental health conditions receive their diagnoses and treatment. Colors quotes an article from the Washington Post reporting that in 2012, the American prisons and jails housed an estimated 356,268 people with severe mental illness, a figure that is 10 times the number of mentally ill patients in state psychiatric hospitals. Grounded in a community of artists and healers and teachers, Patrice began organizing in her community to abolish the harmful and racist systems like mass incarceration that, were, that continued to harm her brother and members of their community. In 2013, after the man who killed Trayvon Martin was acquitted of all charges, Patrice logged onto Facebook, heartbroken and angry. She was scrolling through her friend's posts, looking for other people who would understand what she was feeling. 
and she stopped when she got to a post by her friend Alicia Garza. Alicia wrote, I continue to be surprised how little black lives matter. And I will continue that. Stop giving up on black life. Black people, I will never give up on us. Never. Patrice wrote back, hashtag black lives matter. Over the next few days, Patrice and Alicia began talking about how they could work together to develop something powerful with those three words. They reached out to their friend A.O. Tometi, and together they launched the first Black Lives Matter website. Patrice writes, we are determined to, make, to take public this basic concept that our lives mean something, that black lives matter. For many in our country, these words are still blasphemous. They defy the righteousness of our country's history and the supremacy of whiteness. In response to popularizing the phrase Black Lives Matter and supporting the organizing work led by young black leaders across the country and the world, Patrice has been called a terrorist. Her home has been raided. Last year, further attempts were made to discredit her by accusing her of using money that was donated to Black Lives Matter to buy private homes for herself and her family. But Patrice has not given up. She continues to speak up and lead people around the world in the work of abolition. At this very moment, there is a shift happening in our religion and in the world. For centuries, the focus of liberal religion has been to secure the right to freedom of thought to support institutions that allow individuals to freely explore their religious beliefs beyond the constraints of a specific religious doctrine. When I was at Harvard Divinity School with my peers, I gave history tours to Unitarian Universalist youth groups coming into town. We would start our tour by inviting each member of the group to share their first name and one thing they love about either their church or Unitarian Universalism. The most popular response, hands down, by far, I love that I can believe whatever I want to believe. I am so grateful to hear our children and youth say that they have this freedom. As we know from Neelan's experience, this was not always the case. And for many young people growing up in other religious traditions, it is still not possible. Our ancestors fought for our religious freedom so that we can declare with pride what is sacred to us. What is sacred to you? The earth, the air we breathe, the way water sparkles when sunlight hits it. What is sacred to you? The people you love, your capacity to heal, your ancestors, the future you hope for. And now I'll say something a little blasphemous. To be a unified community, Unitarian Universalists cannot believe whatever we want. 
while we can be a community with diverse beliefs, we have to have a shared understanding of what is sacred to us and what we are striving for together. At the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly in 2021, delegates from congregations across North America voted to review the principles, purposes, and sources of Unitarian Universalism. A study commission was formed that includes Unitarian Universalist ministers, church members, elders, and youth. They delivered their report to the Unitarian Universalist Association Board of Trustees at the beginning of this year. It proposes some very big changes. I think one that has been the most controversial is replacing the seven core principles of our faith with seven core values. I, while I am an ordained minister, I can't recite all seven principles off the top of my head right now, but it's often printed on the cover of the order of service and you can find it, I think, on our website as well. Arlington Street Church also adopted, adopted an eighth principle, which is building beloved community by dismantling racism and oppression within ourselves and our world. So their proposal is to move away from those principles and to move to these seven core values, interdependence, equity, transformation, pluralism, generosity, justice, and at the center of it all, the heart of it all, love. The report goes on to say that the purpose of Unitarian Universalism is as follows. The Unitarian Universalist Association will devote its resources to use its organizational powers for religious, educational, and humanitarian purposes. Its primary purposes are to assist congregations in their vital ministries, support and train leaders, both lay and professional, to foster lifelong faith formation, to heal historic injustices, and to advance our Unitarian Universalist values in the world. The purpose of the Unitarian Universalist Association is to actively engage its members in the transformation of the world through liberating love. Change is hard, but some change is necessary. It's evolution. While we as a denomination, as a church, as individuals continue to discern what is most sacred to us. May we open our hearts to the evolution that's possible for us. May we be brave enough to align ourselves with the blasphemous leaders who invite us into more liberating and a more loving perspective. In the future, they may be our heroes. I'd like to leave you today with this poem by the late Matthew P. Taylor, who served as the ministerial intern at our congregation in Rockville, Maryland, and was a member of the Black Lives of Unitarian Universalist community before their untimely death in 2021. I can feel the change coming like growing pains. I feel the change in my bones, pulling me, stretching me, forming me, into the true I am. Can you feel it? The change in our bodies as we adapt, grow, change, 
the weight shifting and molding to fit this evolving body that we are in, guided by faith that this too will pass. We can survive this because our ancestors survived. Can you feel them in your DNA? You, a mixture of their particles that was molded to fit your spirit, change and shift, mold and grow, yet in some ways we stay the same. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. The words of our benediction come from Unitarian minister Theodore Parker. Be ours a religion which, like sunshine, goes everywhere. Its temple, all space, its shrine, the good heart, its creed, all truth, its ritual, works of love, its profession of faith, divine living. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.